as you know, if you have been around Redeemer for at least uh, 12 months, then you probably know where we're going the next couple weeks uh, because we have kicked off every single year since we planted Redeemer the same way uh, with a very um, important reminder of who we are and what we are about, what we are doing as a church. Uh, so we have said four years since we planted Redeemer that we are a gospel-centered, missional family. If you're getting tired of that, I am doing my job, right? We're, like, we just can't take for granted that we know who we are and what we're about, so we're going to drill home all the time, uh, every Sunday in one shape, form, or fashion, but especially at the beginning of the year, we have a recalibration just to remind us about what does it truly mean that we're gospel-centered, and we're missional, and we're a family. So we'll take some time to look at what does it mean that the gospel of the grace of God through the person of Christ is the center of who we are and what we do. Uh, we'll unpack that. Uh, and then we'll look at what does it mean to be missional, that we're not just here to pass the time until Jesus comes back. He has actually given a mission or a commission to his church to accomplish something. We, every single one of us, if you're a Christian in the room, you have a job to accomplish. You have a role to play and gifts to employ towards the mission of Jesus. We're a missional people. We have something we're trying to accomplish to reach people and disciple them for Jesus in Midland. Amen? And then we're a family. Uh, church is not just a place to come sit next to strangers and enjoy, as Jonathan said, uh, watching other people do things. It is a place where we are to belong to one another, uh, to know one another, to be encouraged by, challenged by, even corrected by one another. Uh, it's more than just an event. It's a family to belong. So uh, that's where we're going the next few weeks. And then just a little bit uh, of some information after that in a couple of weeks, we're going to jump right into 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to walk all, of, all the way through 1 Peter verse by verse such an incredible book uh, we've actually looked at before, and I'm excited about that. So that is uh, coming. Um, many of y'all have read a book, and I wanted to pull a quote from this, uh, Screwtape Letters is the name of the book, written by C.S. Lewis, uh, to kind of talk about and maybe frame some of the challenge for this new year, uh, especially as it relates to getting connected to the life of a church. Uh, if you don't know about the Screwtape Letters, it's an incredibly fascinating book. Uh, C.S. Lewis wrote it. It's um, basically, he it, it, every time I, I start describing this, it just kind of sounds uh, strange and maybe dark, but he's pretending he is a demon, uh, and he is like the head over all the demons, and he's writing letters to his uh, fellow demons trying to give them some tips on how to uh, engage in spiritual warfare against Jesus, his work, uh, and his people. And it's, it's so fascinating because it helps you think how actually uh, satanic forces and demonic forces are going to try to disrupt things. And in that book, um, one of the, the characters, one of the main characters is the senior demon named Screwtape, uh, and one of his disciple demons is Wormwood. And he says this, Screwtape says this to Wormwood at one point. He says, surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, then the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that, quote, suits him until he becomes a taster and a connoisseur of churches. It's so funny that even in, like, the pursuit of church, sometimes there's these forces that can get and say, well, just make sure you look for a perfect one. Make sure that you go find the perfect one where nothing is messy, nothing is broken. And uh, if you do that, you tend to just find out there are no perfect churches. So this is my encouragement for you, especially as we look into what does it truly mean 
to, for, to be the people of God on the mission of God, to be connected to that, to give your life to being in a very imperfect, broken church because that is God's design. It's worthy of investing your life and your time in God's people and God's mission in the church. Um, I grew up, as many of you know, um, on a farm just outside of Amarillo, Texas. And there is not much... Um, to see in Amarillo. I, I always laugh because when we moved to Midland, people talked about the lack of trees in Midland. Uh, but if you move from Amarillo to Midland, I was like, there's trees everywhere. I mean, they're mesquites and they're three feet high, but they're still trees. We didn't even have that. Uh, we lived outside of town and it was only about a 12 to 15 minute drive into Amarillo, but it was an absolute straight shot. Uh, you like turned one, one turn and then you just went straight for 10 miles, didn't swerve even a little bit. And I remember when I was a kid, uh, my parents were so excited because they got their first vehicle that had cruise control. And I remember thinking that cruise control had nothing to do with speed, but that was the thing you would press that would lock your steering wheel straight um, so that you, did, you could just like take a nap because it was just a straight shot into town. And like only, a, I guess, a kid from Amarillo would even think a contraption like that would be helpful. Um, but I remember thinking, gosh, that would be so nice if you could, you don't even have to steer. You could just lock it in, set it on cruise control, take a nap, wake up 10 minutes later in Amarillo. Turns out that's not what cruise cruise control is, and uh, it wouldn't even work that way. If you'd locked your steering wheel in place uh, over time, you're going to end up very quickly where? In a ditch. Because you constantly have to course correct. Uh, if you're driving every second or two, you're trying to keep it between the ditches, uh, keep it down the middle of the road. Um, the gospel to be a gospel-centered people, uh, let me use this metaphor for the next few moments. Think about the gospel as the, the middle of the line, that we're trying to stay right down the middle as a gospel-centered people uh, on the person of Jesus, what he has done, grace he has given, and there's a temptation if we, if we don't consistently come back and course correct um, that we're going to end off in the ditch. And, and normally, we end off uh, in, in one of the two ditches and one side is normally legalism, and the other side is license. Okay, what I mean by that is if we drift from the gospel, uh, we will drift off sometimes into license, which means um, basically, I mean, it means forgetting God's commands, uh, forgetting that God has commands he's given us and thinking, you know what, uh, God has saved me. I've been taken out of danger, no hell. I can do whatever I want. I can live however I want. I can spend my money however I want. I can sleep with whoever I want. I can drink whatever I want. I can watch whatever I want. Just kind of uh, drifting off away from the gospel and God's commands towards license. Um, I have noticed over the years, I think people, and this is a generalization, so take this with a grain of salt, I think most of the time people that have more of a liberal bend uh, tend to err on that side. Uh, a lot of times I've noticed people that have a more conservative bend tend to err on the side of not uh, license but legalism. Okay, so if, if getting off track with the gospel on one side is uh, license or forgetting God's commands, uh, legalism is forgetting God's grace and trying to earn and work towards and please God based on what we have uh, done. And both of those, while they're very different, uh, they are swerving from the middle of the road, the line, the gospel that we are trying to stay on uh, so this is why it's so important that 
every sermon, not just every year at the beginning of the year do we do this, but every sermon brings us back to the gospel. Because we're we're so prone, our hearts are so prone uh, to working off one side or the other, we have to have a constant reminder about what the gospel is bringing us back. That's why Jesus and the gospel are in every sermon that we preach. Uh, I I read a while back that uh, Charles Spurgeon, who is not just a great preacher and pastor, but he mentored a lot of young uh, ministers, and one of them had mentioned to him that somebody had preached a sermon, and they said they couldn't find uh, Jesus or the blood of Christ in it with a pack of blood hounds. Like just the gospel wasn't there. That was just like a list of cool things to do. And Spurgeon said, well, you tell him to go home. If there's no Christ and no gospel in his to go home and never preach again until he has something worth preaching about. Like every sermon, it's, it's to bring our hearts and our minds back to be reminded of the gospel. Uh, but every year we want to come back and refocus because if we don't, there's a really good chance somewhere we're drifting towards legalism or towards license. Uh, so Galatians. Uh, just a quick intro for you uh, before we jump into Galatians chapter 1, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul who is writing this to um, a group of churches that were in the area uh, of modern-day Turkey called Galatia. And so this letter was meant uh, to be circulated among a couple different churches in the same area um, that all had, had heard the gospel, had, had heard the, the just a very good explanation and preaching of the gospel of grace, and they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and they believed the gospel, and they became Christians, and then very quickly, uh, they, 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 they pulled the steering wheel off into the ditch. And so what Paul is doing with this letter in Galatians is he's writing a course correction letter for these churches in Galatia. And their problem wasn't legalism, you know, Corinthians, that was their problem is they, they, they took, sorry, they took the license. Uh, the, the problem with the Galatians is they had veered away from the gospel into the land of legalism. And so Paul is trying to very lovingly recenter them, remind them on the centrality of the gospel and how they had gotten off. If you are in Galatians chapter 1, verse 1, and you're ready, say ready. Ready. Uh, Paul, the Holy Spirit through Paul says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me. To the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Just He's calling their remembrance in the early verses of this letter back to the very simple gospel that Jesus gave himself in our place on the cross for our sins gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, that's the introduction uh, to the letter, and then he gets down to business real quick. Uh, Do y'all know what the, the, uh, like, encouragement sandwich is? Like, if you have to deliver some difficult news or some constructive criticism, normally you're supposed to sandwich it. Like, oh, you look so nice today. Also, don't ever do this again. This was bad. This was terrible. Also, you look so nice today, right? Like, you give an encouragement, and then you give a hard truth that needs to be known, and then another encouragement. I think that originated from Paul, right? This is going to be an abrupt shift from Paul, an apostle, on behalf of Jesus. This is not man's gospel. This is God's gospel. Remember, Jesus. 
Jesus died and grace, peace to you. And then here we go in verse six. He goes, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, Paul says, is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you have received, let him be accursed. Uh, Paul was very frustrated, upset, I don't know what the feeling was, but he recognized that this, this, this church that had, they had heard and believed the gospel very quickly swerved off into the ditch. And, and you need to know that's not just a problem that the churches in Galatia had, that's a problem that every human heart and every church has a propensity to continue uh, to, to drift away. Uh, but the very unique problem that they had missed the gospel, in fact, look back in verse 6, um, the way that, the, the, the way that Paul describes the gospel they had turned from is that he says, you were called in the grace of Christ. He's talking about the gospel of grace, which is one of Paul's favorite descriptions of the gospel. He calls it the gospel of grace all the time. He says, you have turned from the gospel of grace and you're off into the ditch of legalism, not grace, but works. Okay, not, not just works and good works, but works thinking that God was pleased with them because of what they had done. Uh, they were very religious. They were very um, legalistic. And, um, you know, because Paul calls the gospel, the gospel of grace, the good news of grace, he sets that aside as the descriptor. Uh, one of the reasons the message in the story about Jesus is gospel or good news is because of the fact that it is grace. It's a, it's a free gift that Jesus has done something for us um, that we can't do, and he has invited us in free of charge by grace. So why would a church uh, listen, believe the gospel of grace, and then quickly turn aside? My guess is that they had no idea. They, they would be very surprised um, that Paul said this. Uh, that they would not self-identify, say, well, yeah, well, of course, we turn off into legalism. Uh, their, their problem wasn't license, okay? The, the problem with the church in Galatia was not that they went from uh, moral people to immoral people. They didn't just start going crazy with all sorts of sins. Their problem was they turned from grace to works-based. They were still unbelievably moral people. If you were just on the outside looking in, you probably think, man, they are not just down the middle, but they got their foot on the pedal, the gas on the floor, and they're like, they're doing so well because they're such good people. So their problem wasn't going from like holiness to sin. Their problem was abandoning the gospel of grace towards the gospel of works. Uh, for them, it showed up in things like circumcision, like demanding uh, certain outward things of the law, thinking if we did that, we're more, uh, more pleasing or more accepted in God's sight. Um, they, they were saved by grace, and that's what Paul no doubt had preached to them. But then after they were saved by grace, they kind of decided they would take things into their own hands by works. A couple different ways I would put that. Um, that they, they came into the kingdom by grace, but then they decided they would live as a citizen of the kingdom, uh, just abandoning grace and taking it back upon themselves. 
They think that what Jesus and his work is what got them into the kingdom, but then it was up to them to, to maintain and to walk. And that's not a, a, a problem that is unique to the churches in Galatia. Uh, I think it was, uh, was Martin Luther that talks about uh, religion or this, uh, this bend towards uh, a works-based, not grace. He says that's, that's the natural propensity of every heart. Um, that, that, that's, that, that's the problem with the human heart is that we're so resistant to grace, we naturally, without a constant course correction towards the gospel right down the middle, we're constantly going to pull ourselves towards trying to work towards God, okay? And when I say uh, the difference between grace and works, I don't mean just doing good deeds, right? I mean, Jesus said, you're, you're saved so that you will do good deeds, Right? The problem is not the effort that goes into the Christian life. The problem is the earning, right? You've heard me say before that grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. And so this church started thinking that, um, that they, were, they were better, that God was more pleased with them because of their good works. Uh, and we have um, to, to consider which side are we prone to go off of and invite the Holy Spirit to bring us back to the center line of the gospel of grace. Why? Here, here's a question I want to pose. Why is it so important for us as a people, as a church family, and us as Christians um, to consistently course correct or kind of grab the steering wheel and make sure that we're right down the line? Why is this uh, worth starting every single year off uh, recalibrating on the very simple, beautiful, basic gospel of Jesus? Three things. Um, Because number one, some people have never heard it. Okay, some people have never heard the gospel. I'm not talking about uh, people in a in a remote uh, people group that doesn't have a Bible translated in their language and they've never heard about Jesus. Uh, I'm talking about people in Midland who have heard about morality. They've heard about being a good person, but they have never heard the true gospel of the grace and forgiveness and mercy of God through Christ. And they're coming. Maybe they're you. Like we have people every single week that are showing up and maybe have some sense of of Christian morality, but have never really heard that morality does absolutely nothing for us, what we need is the pure, unadulterated, beautiful, powerful grace and the free gift of Jesus. Much of our culture has, has never heard this profound message of the gospel, so we can never get away from it. We can never assume it. The reason we need to keep hammering home gospel centrality is because uh, some people have never heard it. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this. I've seen studies of how uh, in, in, a, in a geographical place, if the gospel was incredibly strong, had such a powerful presence, yet two or three generations goes by, and it just seems to be gone. What happened? Uh, how can... How can, uh, how can uh, how can a location or, or a geographic area or a country move from Christian to post-Christian so fast? And what you find is it's just three generations away from happening, and the first problem that happens is the gospel is assumed. Okay, if one generation loves and is changed by the gospel, and then we just assume everybody gets it, so we move on to the implications of the gospel, next generation's never truly heard it, and it's gone. 
We can never assume the gospel because, number one, some people have never heard it. Number two, uh, just like a road down the highway, we just have a tendency to drift. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been. I know many of you have to a beach. Uh, the first time uh, that I went, we were, I was a kid, and we went down to Corpus. Uh, and, uh, you know, I just knew the waves were kind of coming in and out. And so, you know, I waded out a little bit with, my, you know, probably my little arm floaties. Uh, wasn't then, wasn't now like a real strong swimmer. So I had a beach ball and some arm floaties, and you go out and play for a while. And all of a sudden, you look up to see your mom and dad, and you're like, that is not my mom and dad. And you realize, oh my gosh, I have drifted so far down. So not only is there uh, waves coming in and out, but there's this current moving everything one direction. Like there, there's a current to the culture. There's a current to the, the human heart without the Holy Spirit and, and, and the work of Christ in us that's moving us away, drifting us from the gospel of grace. And, and if we don't course correct, we're going to look up and be like, I, don't, I mean, if you were in Galatia and Paul says this to you, look up and be like, oh, I didn't even know. I didn't even know I was drifting. I was just kind of going through the motions and doing the same things. And you look up at the beach and like, that's not, that's not dad. Like, that's not, that's not the gospel. I'm basing my merit on what I've done. I'm basing my feelings on how well uh, I'm performing or not performing. We drift. The human heart has a tendency to drift away from the gospel. Number three is that we never move on, okay? Sometimes there is a, uh, a tendency or pressure to think, okay, once we nail down the basic gospel now, okay, we got that, now let's move on. Let's, let's graduate. And, and to say it out loud, hopefully, sounds a little absurd, uh, but sometimes people have this idea, well, okay, we got the gospel, now we'll move on to something like better? <laughs> like what on earth could be better? There's nothing, we can't, you don't ever graduate from and move on from the gospel of grace. Did Paul, okay, did Paul ever like, okay, we nailed down the gospel, now let's move on to something else. No, he said stuff like, uh, I have forsaken everything else except to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. He just like, that's, all, that's, the, that's the drum we beat is the gospel of the grace of God. We don't graduate from that. In fact, the, the people that Paul criticizes the sharpest are the ones that thought, oh, we, we got the gospel, now let's, let's move on to something else. Like for, for believers, there is nothing else. It, 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 it's, the, it's the substance of what we need every day, every week, every year is the gospel. We don't ever move on from the gospel. I want to lay out um, why it's so imperative that we consistently course correct and maintain the gospel of grace and be aware of sliding off because there's a high cost to slide off, especially on the side of what we're looking at today in Galatians, uh, legalism. And I'm going to use a couple different words synonymously. Um, religion, I'll use that not in the sense of describing like a world religion, but uh, religion being a works-based thing, trying to earn and please our way towards God. So religion, uh, works-based, or legalism, all of those three things are talking about the same thing. So the, the, the road, okay, the gospel-centered straight line down the middle of the gospel of grace. A few things about that. Number one, the, the gospel of grace focuses all of our attention on Jesus and what he did, okay? Religion folk takes the focus away from Jesus and what he did and puts it on self and what we do. 
okay? So that's a huge cost and a huge problem that if we veer off, then all of a sudden we spend a lot of our time thinking about what we have done, what we haven't done, spending our time focusing on us and not Jesus. Um, Jesus is the hero, and he is, he, he is the one who gets the credit and the glory and the worship when it's the gospel of grace. When it's legalism, it is self. I'm the hero of my story. I've, I've pulled myself up, up from my bootstraps. I've lived a good life. I've avoided certain sins. And all of a sudden, we become the hero of the story, not Jesus. True, the gospel of grace produces in God's people a deep sense of humility, right? Th- those two are they're Siamese twins that always go together. When you reach a point of humility, that's when you're at the point to receive grace, which God's trying to produce humility in his people, and the gospel of grace produces a deep well and a deep sense of humility. When we veer off into legalism, it produces a deep sense of pride, the opposite of what God is after, thinking, you know, I'm a pretty good person. I've done some really good things. It veers us away from humility towards pride. Um, the, The gospel of the grace of Christ frees us from comparison that we don't have to look around and find somebody that we're doing better than, uh, but when we veer off into legalism, that, that feeds and fuels itself off of comparison to think, well, you know, I'm better than that person, <laughs> and I'm doing better in this category than that person, so I must be okay, and it's this constant comparison that only leads to one of two places, uh, leads us to a sense of pride or a sense of despair. If you look around and you're doing better than a few people, kind of have this sense of pride through comparison. If you look around and you're not doing so hot compared to other people, leads you to a sense of despair that you'll never add up. The gospel of grace pulls you off of the rat race of comparison, because you realize, well, I, there, there is comparison to the gospel of grace, but we compare ourselves to Jesus, and we realize we fall short, might as well be saved by grace. It changes you. Okay, don't miss this. The gospel of the grace of God, the, the God's grace, a gift that is freely given, unearned, it is, it, it's the most powerful force on the planet. Like, that's what truly changes people at their core. And I know some of you are walking into 2024 thinking, I need some changes in my life, going to make some New Year's resolutions. You need to know the most powerful force of change in a human's heart and life is the grace of God. The grace of God will change somebody, make them an absolute new person, Paul case in point. Like, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone who had a bigger conversion and a bigger shift uh, than the Apostle Paul, who went from persecutor of the church and murderer of Christians to a uh, man laying his life down for the sake and the co- of the gospel and the cause of Christ. What happened? Did he earn it? No. He is... He, he beats the drum of grace. Grace changes you. Getting into legalism and works and religion just does not have the power to change you. When we moved to Midland in 2015... Uh, we had a five-year-old about to start kindergarten, a uh, two-year-old, and a couple-month-old. And the house that we moved into, the people had not uh, taken care of the yard. And so uh, we had a really awesome, really big backyard, but it was just all goat heads, right? Um, and goat heads are no joke. Uh, do you all know what goat heads are? 
Like, you're like, we live in West Texas, of course we do. Like, I, I grew up around stickers, or what my grandfather called grass burrs. Those suckers are JV compared to goat heads, right? Goat heads are like stickers on some kind of steroids, and that's all we had in our backyard. Uh, the problem was, is my five-year-old son uh, loved to play outside, uh, and he had a giant mud pit that was at the far end of our backyard, and just nothing but goat heads between him and his dream of playing in the mud pit. Last problem was he, he, and he's still like this, just hates shoes, does not want to wear shoes, can't get him to wear shoes, but he kept coming in just like crying because these goat heads were just destroying his feet. And so I, you know, as the brilliant father, I come up with a plan. It's like, oh, I'll tell him what he needs to do. <laughs> hey, you should probably either wear shoes or better yet, let me carry you. And he like, you know, his, his five-year-old brain starts working its magic, and then he has this really like confident look, and he comes up, and he's like, I got an idea. I'll just run faster. <laughs> I remember thinking, oh, sweet, sweet boy. I like your attitude. Uh, I, like your, I, like your, I like your style, but that's just not going to work. Like, you can't just run faster, and that's going to, what if I pick you up, and I carry you over there? Okay, this is what religion and works offers you. Like, just, like, life, life's not going well. Maybe God's not pleased. Here's the deal. Just, just do, go faster. Just do the same thing, but work harder at it. Like, that's what religion offers. That's the only thing religion offers is just work really hard and try better next time. I know you got a, an addiction. Just, just try harder. I mean, that, isn't that in the air a lot of times at the beginning of the year? Just this thing, gosh, some things need to change. I've got some habits I need to break, some things I need to do. Here's the answer. I'll just try harder. And most stats would say, ah, that doesn't really work. What works? Well, every other religion on the face of God's earth is that. It's just like, well, just, just run faster. Just try harder. Just do better. And then you have this invasion of God to planet Earth through the person of Jesus who lives a perfect life that we just can't even come close, was fully pleasing to God in word, in thought, in deed, in action, everything, just an absolute, pristine, perfect, holy, sinless life, takes our sin to the cross dies in our place so that he might embrace us, forgive us, save us by what? By grace, a free gift that you have to come having nothing. I think it was Keller that said the only thing that you need to be saved by God is nothing, but most of us don't have it. It's like the, you, the only thing you have to have is to show up with, with open hands saying, I'm just, I'm, 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 I'm a sinful, broken, needy person, and I need grace. I have nothing to contribute. And that's what we get. We get grace. That's how you are saved. That's how you enter the kingdom, by the grace of God. And then there's this temptation after that to just drift off back into works and, and legalism. Uh, Paul, I think it was Colossians uh, Colossians chapter 2, uh, he says this. He says, therefore, just as you received Christ, so many of y'all know this, so walk in him. What does that mean? He says, you received Christ, you entered the kingdom by grace, and that's still how we live. The gospel that saved you, right, the gospel of grace is the same gospel that still shapes you and sanctifies you. 
Each one of our hearts have a temptation to wander either legalism or license and to constantly be drawn back to the gospel of grace. This is what it does. It produces love. The, the true gospel of God's grace produces love in us. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. Um, it, it produces worship in, in Jesus, which is what all of us were created for. Like the, the, the chief end of man is to worship and glorify God. The, the gospel of grace produces in us this like, when you see Jesus as he really is, like strip away all the things that we think and just see Christ as the perfect son of God who is worthy of all adoration and all worship of every living thing on the planet and then you're saved by grace, you give him what you need because he's the hero. Right? We're not the hero, so Jesus gets what he deserves. It makes us uh, truly love because he first loved us. Uh, it, it causes us to deeply worship Jesus. Number three, it produces works um, that actually glorify Christ that we're not trying to earn. Uh, I think it was Keller that, that said it this way. Um, he said, gosh, where is it? Um, something to the effect of religion is working to please God, but the gospel is God's pleased with me and so I work, right? I do good deeds. So like it produces good works in us that are actually pleasing to God because we're not trying to, to earn anything with God. We're so deeply changed by the grace of Christ that we want to, out of love and joy and gratitude, live our lives and offer up works that glorify God. Number four, it produces a deep sense of humility. Okay, a deep, deep sense of humility. If you're honest, maybe you say, you know, I've got kind of an issue with, with pride, uh, which is probably all of us in the room, right, at some point, that the, the only antidote to pride is grace because grace produces a deep sense of humility. It crushes the comparison that's a really big problem in Midland, Texas. You just look around and think, well, I just, I, I'm, I'm either filled with pride because I'm doing better than so many people or I'm filled with despair because I'm not. The gospel of grace pulls you off of that rat race. It produces good fruit. It changes you. It's how we've come into the kingdom by grace, and it's also how we live. The road down the middle the gospel of the grace of God. That Jesus, I mean, isn't this how Paul opened up the letter talking about the love of Christ and the sacrifice he made for us so that he might rescue us from this present age? He died in our place. He fully fulfilled God's demands of righteousness and justice. He endured the penalty of sin so that he might invite us in. We show up with nothing. He gives us everything. We show up with sin. He gives us forgiveness. He, we are showered with grace. That's what changes us eventually into the image of God. We're saved by grace. We walk by grace. We're going to constantly as a family remind ourselves of the gospel of grace lest we drift off to either side. Let me invite you to pray with me. Uh, I, I want to invite you really to, to think and to pray and to join with me as, as we pray that God would just stir up a deep sense of 
gratitude for the grace that he has given. Or maybe um, you, you've kind of walked into to Christianity, into the church, and you're uh, relatively new to this idea. And maybe you've heard just some, uh, some things about being a good person and morality. Uh, maybe you come to church expecting a long list of things that you should do and things that you should stop. Uh, I would love for you to just simply hear an invitation to receive God's grace. You can't bring a penny to help pay for it. Jesus covered the bill because he wants to extend grace so that we are put in a place, honestly, of indebtedness to Jesus forever, where we spend the rest of our life worshiping the God that has endless grace. Pray that that would stir up in your heart as we pray together. Father, you are the God of grace, and you demonstrated that so incredibly clearly at the cross when Jesus died in our place. You've demonstrated that through the Holy Spirit, applying that grace when we believe. God, that grace has, just has the ability that nothing else has to completely renovate the hearts of men and women and change us deeply from the inside. And so God, I pray for your people and for those who are in this room that, that belong to you, that have responded and believed the gospel, that you would stir up in us just a new, fresh sense of your grace. That we didn't earn it, so we can't lose it. That it was given to us because you're good, not because we're good. And it would just stir up in us a sense of worship and gratitude. Father, I pray for anyone in this room that maybe they've just been trying to change their behaviors and to try to do better and run faster, that you would invite them into your grace, that they would fall in your mercy, that they would show up empty-handed with nothing to give but everything to receive from you. God, your grace is amazing. So many songs and poems have been sung about it for centuries and will never plumb the depths of your grace. God, keep our hearts aligned. May you keep the gospel the center point for us as people and as a church. Keep us from wandering into legalism and thinking that we've done something to earn it. Keep us from wandering to license and just choosing to live how we want. May your grace so deeply change us. We love you. We're thankful for this church. I'm so grateful for this church family. Would you, would you guide us? Would you protect us? Would you help us to accomplish your mission in Midland this year? We love you because you first loved us. God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Redeemer Church. If you want to connect with us at Redeemer, we would love for you to visit us at a service in person or visit us online at www.redeemermidland.org.